what is up, Daddy Gang? It is your founding father, Alex Cooper, with Call Her Daddy. John Legend, welcome to Call Her Daddy. It's great to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. First of all, congrats on becoming a new dad again just a few weeks thank ago. Thank you. Thank you. Number three is here. Oh, my God. Esty. How are you doing? We're good. You're good. Yeah, we're good. I mean, I didn't actually have to carry the child, so it's a little easier for me. Right. Easy for me to say we're good. <laughs> but uh, Chrissy's doing pretty well. Uh, it's a recovery process. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. How has the legend Tegan household changed since welcoming baby Esty? Honestly, more love, more joy. It's like more energy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been really good. Our older kids are so good with Esty and they love like feeding her, holding her, kissing her. And we wondered if they were going to be more jealous or anything. And no, they've been really good. And they were actually jealous before. Like when we, when Chrissy was pregnant, we were like, oh no, they're going to be terrible because they, you could tell they were like jockeying for position, jockeying for love a little bit. And then uh, when Esty's born, they're fine. That's good to know because I do remember my mom sharing with me saying when I came home, my sister said, mm -hmm. what is that? Send it back. <laughs> so, like, you never fucking know how it's going to go. You never know. And I had friends that told me that too. And so... We were worried, but they've been good so far. This episode is presented by Sparkling Ice. Turn up summer with sparkling ice. They have over 17 anything but subtle flavors, all made with zero sugar and packed with vitamins and antioxidants. Iced tea and lemonade, strawberry watermelon, tropical punch, peach nectarine. Yum. Crank up the flavor, sparkling ice, anything but subtle. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Daddy gang, I get that there are some things you don't want to share, but bottling everything up inside can truly have some awful consequences. I remember growing up, I guess, honestly, the, the truth is I was getting bullied and I was like so embarrassed to tell my family that because at home I was fine, but at school it was tough for me. And I just remember feeling so awful about myself and I kept it to myself and I dealt with it by myself. And it literally just caused truly maybe like a decade of trauma. And later in life, now that I've processed it, I'm like, damn, I would have been so much better off if I had just talked to someone about it. It didn't even have to be my parents. Talking helps a lot. And if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. I have had such an incredible relationship and experience with therapy. I was so ready to get better and to better myself and to understand myself more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, convenient and flexible. It's easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists whenever you need to for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash daddy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash daddy. Two years ago, I became pregnant with a baby I desperately wanted. During a routine ultrasound, I learned that the fetus would have a fatal condition and never survive. I had to flee my own state to receive treatment. I think Donald Trump bears an incredible amount of responsibility for these restrictive laws. 
We need leaders that will protect our rights, and that's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Okay, so I think it's fun to, like, get to know you a little bit better. You're from Ohio. I'm from Springfield, Ohio. And when I'm looking at your life, it's so interesting because I'm like, Mm -hmm. you're really fucking smart, obviously. thank you. You had a very kind of untraditional, like, upbringing when it comes to school. You were skipping school. Not skipping school. You were skipping grades. So I was homeschooled, and then I skipped grades. And, so, and, sh- and you kind of moved around schools, right? Yeah, I um, graduated high school when I was 16, and I only went to public school from 8th through 12th grade. And before that, I was mostly homeschooled, and then I was at a private school for a couple years in that time period, too. How do you think having a pretty non-traditional schooling experience like affected you as a kid? Well, I think one, I benefited from being the second kid and I had Mm -hmm. an older brother who was two years older than me. And so because I was so precocious and because my parents were so into education, um, I would just hang out with my older brother and learn the stuff he was learning. And so I ended up kind of catching up with him because I was so into learning. I was into reading. I would like... uh, just read the World Book Encyclopedia for fun. I was like that kind of kid. I was just very nerdy, very precocious, wanted to soak up everything. We'd go to the library and I would want to read about like Martin Luther King and uh, civil rights heroes and not just the normal kid shit that kids would read. And so um, I was always kind of like that. And then having an older brother made me just want to learn everything he was learning. And so that's even why I started taking piano lessons because he was taking piano lessons and he didn't really want to do it. And he wanted to go to drum lessons. And I was like, I want to take piano lessons. I'll take them. And so I started piano when I was four because of that. I feel like you, because you're obviously so bright, you kind of could have done anything, I'm sure. Like, well, if- I was a management consultant for three years. Wait, what? I get out of college. I went to Penn. And yes. I graduate. And most of my friends are like doing finance jobs, consulting jobs. I took a job as a management consultant for three years. I worked at a place called Boston Consulting Group. And I was still trying to get a record deal during that time. I'd already played on uh, Lauren Hill's Miseducation mm-hmm. album mm-hmm. in 98 when I was still in school. And then when I graduated, I, w- I had started working with some of the producers I met um, through Lauren Hill and some other producers around Philly. Uh, but I needed a day job and uh, kind of the inertia of being in that uh, pen atmosphere kind of made me like, well, maybe I should apply for the same jobs my friends are applying for. And so I applied to be a management consultant and got the job. Okay, we're rewinding for a second. Yeah. So you, because I'm thinking about you young, saying at four years old, you're yeah. like, I'm starting to play piano. Yeah. Was there a moment or like the, a significant in, like moment in your life that you were like, music is my thing? Yeah, well, it started mostly in church because I grew up going to a Pentecostal church. My grandmother was the church organist and my mom directed the choir. So I would be in church, going to choir rehearsal, watching my family up there leading the music of the service. And so I just wanted to be a part of it. And so when I would go to choir rehearsal, I would just beg my mom, hey, I want to sing too. And they were like, you have to wait till you're a little older. So by the time I was seven, I started singing in the church choir. And then eventually I would start getting solos and I loved it. I loved being in front of the audience i love that energy that i felt the the love that i felt the like encouragement that i felt when i was up there and then i would do it at school plays i would do it at local talent shows and i loved it i also am curious like 
obviously your circumstances are so different than probably how you were raised. Oh my God, right. so different. Just a little, <laughs> just a little, John. I never even was on an airplane until I was 16. Uh, when I visited Penn was the first time I got on a plane. Damn. Yeah, and now my kids, you know, they go they're all around the world with, with us. And, you know, obviously, like, so much more privilege, so mm -hmm. much so much more of everything. My dad was a factory worker. My mom stayed at home and uh, took care of us. And, you know, we didn't know we were struggling, but, you know, you like, we didn't have much money. We had what we needed, but we didn't have much beyond that. And uh, my dad would get laid off because, you know, the ups and downs of the mm -hmm. economy and the manufacturing economy, we felt that all the time in Ohio. And, uh, yeah, it was a very different life. Yeah. I, I can and you imagine. don't want your kids to be assholes. No. And I'm, I'm like, you know, they're growing up with so much and they'll, they'll probably come to expect so much um, that we just never even knew to expect. And you you want them to still have some appreciation and, again, good character and, and be generous and be grateful and totally. and be, you know, just good human beings. And I feel like it might be harder to pull that off given their life circumstances. Yeah, no pressure. The world's watching. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. No fucking pressure. So before you, because I, I think it's really interesting, you went to Penn. I'm from Pennsylvania. Okay, um, what part? I'm from Newtown, so I'm from more of like the suburbs. Yes. But my dad works in Philly, and mm -hmm. like my brother was living in Philly, so like very Philly-oriented family. It was a great place for me to be during mm -hmm. that time in my life. So I get there when I'm 16, and during this time period, this is when... Black Lily was happening, which was uh, uh, what the Roots and their whole like uh, crew uh, were doing. They were doing these open mic nights and they'd have like Jaguar right there and Jill Scott and uh, Bilal and the Jazzy Fat Nasties and and all these uh, neo soul uh, acts coming through. They'd have uh, Common coming through, Bilal, uh, I already said Bilal, Common coming through, D'Angelo coming through. So... All of this was happening right when I was there at school and then right after I graduated. And so just being in that ecosystem was very mm -hmm. good for a musician at that time because it was like so much was happening, so many people to collaborate with, and so much inspiration and motivation because you're just around other really talented musicians. And it, it really like inspire me and push me to want to pursue my career. It's incredible. I love how you just casually like, so I went to college at 16 years old. Like <laughs> what the hell? What was it like? I'm sure you were younger than a lot of people in college. Like what was your experience like socially and dating wise? I was, it was not good. I was like <laughs> younger. I was kind of a country bumpkin, like compared to most of the kids there. They're like East coast, mm -hmm. either grew up in the city or in suburbs. And then I'm from a small town in Ohio, manufacturing town. Um, I didn't have that much money. Um, black, which makes you a minority too. So it's like there's like all these reasons why you're a little bit of an outsider. And then you're two years younger than everybody on top of all that. No, I was not getting girls. I was not uh, uh, doing very well in the dating scene. I was just, you know, I was just this nerdy kid whose one thing was that I could really sing and play and so that was the thing that made me kind of connect to other people. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you said you weren't getting girls, but I did yeah. read that in high school you were prom king. I was. How? Explain. Not how, but like. I, well, I did fine in high school, but then I, when I got to college, it's almost like a reset and nobody knew me. I had no, like, I had no game. Like, I was just, 
No, I wouldn't have been prom king in college. By the time I graduated from from Penn, though, um, people knew me as the guy who sang with the acapella group counterparts and and the guy who played on Lauryn Hill's album. And so I was starting to, you know, really connect with people through music. But when I got there, I was just like this shy Ohio kid, small town kid, like no and no game. Did you have anything traditional about your college experience? Like, were you going to frat parties, John? I went to frat parties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to frat parties. I had cool roommates. They were all, everyone was older, but I lied about my age when I first got there. So I would say that I was, I think I, when I got there, I was 16, but I would say I was 17, mm-hmm. uh, which is minor lie, but it was like, it made me less of like, yeah. A curiosity. <laughs> like, what the fuck? You're 16? 17 does sound like a little bad. Yeah. It's like, it's like almost normal. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, my roommate, actually, my freshman year roommate, uh, he lives in Boston, but he came to L.A. recently and he came by and met my family. And he said, yeah, I didn't even know your dad was so young when he got there because he lied to <laughs> He's a liar. You're like, I, you wouldn't have been fucking friends with me had I not lied to you. So I feel like a lot of people that you've known in your life are probably not surprised you are where you are. Yeah, well, I had a couple friends. We were laughing about it, and they became friends with me when I was still a management consultant in New York. Mm-hmm. So I graduated from Penn. I'm in Boston for one year, but then I moved to New York, and I lived in New York most of my adult life after that. But so when we were in New York, I, I you know, had some other friends. Most of them worked in the corporate world. And one time I told them, yeah, I'm going to um, get a record deal hopefully soon, and I see like people like Justin Timberlake and R. Kelly as my competition. And <laughs> and my friend looked at me like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, where did this big ego come from? This confidence? Where do you think you got that confidence? <laughs> well, I feel like any artist that you see who succeeded in our business has a bit of like audacity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost irrational, but it's like you have to believe that you have something special to offer and we believed it like me kanye like our crew we believed we were making something that was special and interesting and deserved to be heard and so yeah i believed i had something to offer and i feel like you need to believe that for it to work totally when did you meet kanye it was 2001 so my um one of my roommates from college um, was a roommate in New York as well, and he's Kanye's cousin. So uh, Kanye had just started um, working with Rockefeller, but he still was based in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he was getting so much work with Rockefeller, with Jay, with uh, Beanie, all those guys that were coming out uh, on Rockefeller at that time. Um, that they moved him out to uh, New York. He actually lived in Newark, but, you know, right outside of New York. So he lived in Newark, had an apartment there. And my roommate is like, uh, yeah, my cousin's moving out here. He just started working with, you know, Rockefeller. You guys should meet. You should work together. And he invited him to one of my shows. It was up in Harlem. And so during this time, I'm working as a consultant during the day, playing shows around New York at night. And, you know, writing songs and doing whatever. And so um, Kanye comes to the show. 
we meet and a few months later we started working together. I would go to his apartment in Newark. He had a little studio set up in there and we would work on tracks. And uh, he was working on the earliest beginnings of what became the college dropout. And then I was working on what eventually became Get Lifted, my debut album. Both of those albums came out in 2004. So 2001, two, three, four, we're trying to get record deals. We're trying to, uh, he's producing for other artists and including me on some of those tracks too. And then I finally got signed in May of 2004. That's so cool that you have people obviously in the industry that you met before you were like fucking huge because I'm sure it can be also kind of an isolating career of like you are on this track that probably is not exactly relatable to that many people. Like was your family, it's interesting to hear your family was obviously in music in some Mm -hmm. capacity, but was your family like, have you lost your mind or were they always thinking like you're going to be successful? You got this. Um, I don't know if they really knew that all of this was going to work out because I mean, we all know people who can sing. We all know like in church, you grow up and like, like everybody, like it feels like everybody can sing. Everybody's talented. Um, and, um, if you grew up in a black church with so much music around Mm -hmm. you, like it's not abnormal that you are around people who can really sing and really play. And so I don't know that they just knew that I was going to be the one that break, broke through I had another older cousin who we all thought could sing better than me you know so it wasn't like guaranteed um that you know I would go from being oh he's a talented singer to oh he's going to be making music that the whole world's going to listen to yeah so kind of wrapping up your college experience I think it's interesting that you said you know you were younger you maybe didn't fit in but then people figured out like oh the guy can sing like Mm -hmm. he's pretty cool do you have any advice for someone in a situation right now maybe they're in college getting out of college that feels like they don't fit in they're trying to figure out their path but everyone's Mm -hmm. looking at them sideways of like Mm -hmm. what the fuck are you doing like what's your advice well I mean my experience just shows me that if you really focus on the thing that you really love and the thing that you're really good at um and you get better at it um because I think you have you you can have some innate talent you can have some upbringing that kind of pushes you in a certain direction but I think you only get better and like world you know world class better if you really spend a lot of time on it and really focus on it so focus on that thing and you might not be socially that connected yet but if you focus on that thing it's going to open doors for you and and you'll find your tribe you'll find the people that um appreciate what you do and you know it it's not going to always be something that's going to make you famous, but it could be something that makes you just really good at something yeah. and it opens doors for you and helps you find other people who are really into that thing too. And that'll be your people. I think it's great. Yeah. Another thing too of like comparison. I think it's interesting you talking about when you met Kanye, you were both trying to come up. Mm-hmm. You were both like trying to yeah. do your own things, but also you were saying like you were kind of working with him on some of his shit. How did you two not get competitive in an arena that's pretty fucking small? Like that's 1% that makes it. Well, I think we were so different in what we were trying to make. Like I'm an R&B singer. He's a rapper. He's a producer. And, you know, I'm a singer, songwriter who plays the piano. And so everything we did actually was pretty complimentary Mm. um and so i would sing all over his records play piano on them um add some kind of soul and musicality to them and then he would add a lot of like hip-hop flavor to what i was doing so it was a cool time to be making music because 
you could find ways for like hip hop and soul to intersect. And because we were making different enough music, we never felt like we were going head to head. We could find ways to like make each other better. And that's what we did. That's dope. Yeah. Once you left Penn, did you still feel any connection to Pennsylvania? Like, did you root for the Eagles in the Super Bowl, John? I still, like, if if there's no Ohio team, <laughs> Philly's, like, my next uh, okay. thing I'll root for. So, like, I'd rather root for the Bengals in the Super Bowl, but they lost in the, mm-hmm. you know, AFC Championship. And so when Philly played KC, I was like, okay, I'll just root for, for Philly. And, you know, I still have a lot of band members that are from Philly, um, a lot of my favorite musicians I've collaborated with, like The Roots, they're from Philly. So I have a lot of affection for Philly. And a lot of people that work with me, including my manager and one of my producing partners, Dope. they're from Philly. And so I definitely have a lot of love for Philly. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. Do you ever find yourself looking at your full wardrobe, but still feeling like you got nothing to wear? Well, gather around, Daddy Gang. Saks.com. You're going to find instant inspiration for that date night, for that impromptu vacation, okay? Maybe you need a new dress because one of your friends is getting married soon, okay? So if you're looking for a new style or want to build a better relationship with your closet, then head to Saks.com to shop for everything on your agenda. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Daddy gang, what are your plans for the summer? I want to probably sign up for a couple excursions with mats, really put myself out there, do something I don't usually do. But when you want something, you got to just go for it. And that applies when you're hiring for your business. ZipRecruiter can help you snag the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And luckily, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash daddy. Got your eye on a rock star candidate. ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. Once you review ZipRecruiter's list of most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. So amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter, Daddy Gang, and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash daddy to try it for free right now. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash daddy. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This episode is brought to you by new Garnier Fructis hair filler with vitamin C G. Many things can damage your hair like heat styling and bleaching, but the all new Garnier Fructis hair filler systems can reverse up to one year of damage to your hair smoothness in just one use, giving you up to 79% stronger hair and up to four times less breakage. And all Garnier products are approved by cruelty-free international under the Leaping Bunny program. New Garnier Fructis hair filler, pre-shampoo, shampoo, conditioner, and serum are available now on Amazon and at Walmart, Target, Ulta, drug and select grocery stores learn more at garnierusa.com who should play you in the john legend (laughs) biopic and who would play chrissy oh my goodness (laughs) let me think about this now i gotta think about who all the people that people say i look like 
On the internet, it's usually just babies. Everyone puts their light-skinned babies up, and they uh, they all think, my baby looks like John Legend. Because I have this, you know, I have cheeks, I have dimples, and a lot of babies look like me. (laughs) A baby is going to play you in your biopic. So basically, my biopic will happen 30 years from now, and one of the internet babies will play me. Okay, that's actually amazing. Also, that is a compliment. Like, you look young, so you're you're never going to age. Um, I had written, I think, Reggae Jean Page. Okay. That that, would you be... make me a little more handsome. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> but then, like, who would play Chrissy? I didn't think of that. I'm trying to think of, like, um, maybe, like, Olivia Rodrigo or something. Oh. No, that's good. I feel like also Chrissy would play Chrissy, right? She's like, I'll I don't do know. It. Like, I don't know how this works because we kind of have acted. Right. <laughs> do we play ourselves? Uh-huh. Like Absolutely. 50, 50 played himself. <laughs> you could be the next. Yes. Um, what's something that you're not good at that you wish you were? Sports. <laughs> what sports specifically? I mean, basketball. Like, I, I played with my brothers and my cousins, but they were always more athletic than me. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, like, I was just never that good. I mean, obviously, I got the talent that I got, and I'm happy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I always wished I was a little more athletic. Ooh, I wish yeah. I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. You know the song. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What is a misconception about you that you see on the internet a lot? Well, we could get into all the crazies on the internet. There's, like, the QAnons. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, do we have five hours? <laughs> The QAnons, you know, you've heard about the QAnons. They're like, they're on some other shit. <laughs> they're, they're going off. So is that like... Is there they mis- include me and Chrissy in their conspiracies. It's wild. Wait, what? Are I don't you, know if, you, I don't know if you, I've ever seen you, that. You, you should go down the rabbit hole one day just to see where humanity is. <laughs> Stop. And then do you guys just laugh about it at home? You're yeah, like, we laugh about it. It, it is wild, though. They, they really believe some wild things. And, and they kind of talk each other up and they build these entire alternate universes where they think all these crazy things about Hollywood people, about uh, p- especially people on the left and in politics. And it is insane. It's a wild subculture. We've made fun of it before publicly, but it's, uh, the thing is, the more you deny it, the more they think, see? <laughs> You're like, okay. But there's, there's no really rationalizing with them. It's, it's like a truly... Um, psychotic subculture yeah and to people that aren't familiar can you just give a little explanation of like what these people think you're doing well they believe (laughs) that donald trump Mm -hmm. was put into office to end a secret cabal of hollywood and democratic pedophiles and he was put into office and that's why everyone was so worried about him becoming president was that he was here to solve that issue for the world. He was going to destroy this cabal and arrest all those people. Mm-hmm. And so they have. there's all these like rabbit holes they go down with it. So like they, for a while, I think they thought that if you were covering your ankles, it was because you were secretly on house arrest and you had a ankle bracelet, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Because if you were so dangerous and you were going to be arrested, why wouldn't they just actually put you in jail? But they thought for some reason that people like Hillary Clinton had an ankle bracelet on and and Ellen DeGeneres had an ankle bracelet on and they were secretly arrested by Donald Trump's Justice Department. It's insane. Honestly, it's insane. The overall thrust of it is that 
they believe that their perceived enemies, whether it's Hollywood or the liberal elite, um, were actually not just people they disagree with, but people that were doing this inhumane mm -hmm. pedophile ring. Mm -hmm. And uh, they still, there's still a lot of them that believe it. And uh, they've included us in that. They just added us to the list of people who've gone to Jeffrey Epstein's island, which we never knew the guy, never flew anywhere with them. They just added us to the list. It's wild. Oh, my God. Okay, what do you think? Thank you for clarifying that. Now I'm going to, like, when you leave here, I'm going to go down a fucking spiral. Be like, what? There are a lot of people that believe it. But you have to, I like, would say probably millions on, the, uh, on a planet of 7 billion. I, I think it's got to be millions of people believe it. Is that kind of scary to you? It is a little scary because, you know, if you really believe that about someone, you would do some dastardly things to like or some awful things, some violent yeah. things to uh, stop them from doing it if you really believed it. And, you know, the the most one of the more dangerous moments was when that guy went into uh, the pizza place in D.C. and thought he was busting up a pedophile ring in the basement and there was actually no basement in the pizza shop. <laughs> but he went in there with a gun, like looking to uh, save a bunch of kids. And it was all just a figment of his uh, conspiracy addled mind. Okay. Yeah. What the fuck? That took a turn. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what was my question? Um, <laughs> so you met Chrissy on a set of your music video. Yes. Did you have any say who was cast for that part? Yeah. So my my uh, friend, Nabil Elderkin, he's a mutual friend of both mine and Chrissy's from before we knew each other. Mm -hmm. And um, he had shot her before and he showed me photos of her and wanted to cast her in um, the video. And he was shooting the video on spec. Um, so he kind of needed a friend to be the model because he wasn't really offering any money. He was doing the video on spec and I was like, cool. And he showed me a picture of Chrissy and I was like, sure, great. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we shot the video not far from here um, and we just hit it off. What do you remember about that first day meeting her? Well, she'll tell you like when she walked in, I was ironing my own clothes, um, which I do and I still do. And um, we didn't have any budget for the video. It was truly on spec. And, and Nabil was just shooting it because he hadn't really shot any videos before. And he wanted to show um, people in the industry that he could do it. And up until that point, he was just a photographer. And he had done a decent amount of photo shoots, but no video shoots. And so we were like, it was shoestring budget. She walks in. I'm ironing my clothes. Um, my brother's in there with me. My uh, road manager at the time, who's still with me now. And, um, yeah, she walks in and I'm like, wow, she's beautiful. And we just hit it off. When did you actually like ask her out? Well, we hung out that night because she came to my show. Um, I had a show at the Roxy that night and we hung out that night. And then every time I came back to LA, I would reach out and I was living in New York at the time and she was mostly living in LA, but she would go to Miami for work as well. And so we just kind of started this three city romance where she would come see me in New York sometimes and she would have work there too and um, come stay with me. And then when I was in LA, I would, we would hang out. And then when we were both were in Miami, we would hang out. And then eventually we started going on trips together and, and just kind of falling in love. And, um, we, um, the first time we went to Lake Como was in 2007. It was for a, um, so we had met in September, 2006 
and it was for some men's shows for uh, uh, who was it Armani mm -hmm. uh, our friend who works for Gucci now but worked for Armani then invited us to the shows and um, in between the shows they put us up at Villa d'Este mm -hmm. in, uh, in, uh, at Lake Como in Italy and so we're there and I say that's when we fell in love because like Aww. it's this beautiful place and and we just got really close and you could just feel like oh this is going to be special and so that place always became like significant to us because that's where we fell in love and then um fast forward to 2011 I propose we get married in 2013 and we um shoot the all of me video that week the week we get married at lake como we get married at lake como and the bill the same guy who introduced us um is the guy who shot the video for all of me we shoot the video kind of commemorating our marriage to the world it becomes my biggest song of course and and uh also commemorates this special moment in our lives and that's all um going to be the 10th anniversary uh in september this year 10th anniversary of all of me, 10th anniversary of our getting married, Damn. and uh, we're going to go back to Lake Como and celebrate. That's a great story. Another twist of that story is that the reason I met Nabil was because he squatted KanyeWest.com. Um, so you remember back in the day before like the internet was really big, um, people would squat domain names. Mm -hmm. Um and a lot of times they would just ask for a huge ransom to, to, to pay it off. But Nabil, all he wanted was let me take a photo, take photos of you guys. Let me follow you guys around and take photos of you. And I'll give you your website back. And so he Damn. gave Kanye, KanyeWest.com back. And he just started taking photos of us. He was living in Chicago. And uh, he would go around with us on tour. And we all became friends with him. All on him blackmailing. <laughs> I was about to say, he knows how to get in a room and make connections. I'm like, <laughs> but honestly, it was like the, the most benign blackmail of all time. I just want to take pictures of you guys for free. <laughs> like, he's like, just let me like hang out and take photos. You're like, that's all you want? You guys are like, there has to be something. How much? He's like, literally, that's it. No money, no check. No. Damn. And then, and, and then, you know, years later, he meets Chrissy and shoots her and then, you know, introduces us and then all of that because he squatted KanyeWest.com. That's a great story. Um, obviously, every relationship, I love how you were like, we had like a three city romance. Like mm -hmm. when you start a relationship, it's so exciting. Mm -hmm. And then there's obviously the hard parts. Like mm -hmm. what was the hardest part that you and Chris experienced in like those beginning early stages of your relationship? Well, I think part of it's distance. And so, you know, you're traveling a lot. Um, Part of it's just me being still like in my mid twenties and being a like you know selfish you know mid twenties guy and like still wanting to like not like I think you're still selfish during that period of your life. You're not thinking fully about being a good partner. You're thinking more about like what you need to do and like I'm thinking about my career. I'm thinking about you know. Um, just what's going to be the best thing for me and not thinking of us as a couple as much. Um, but as we grew together, we just fell in love and we started to like intertwine our goals, you know, mm -hmm. like the things we wanted to do together. Um, and 
grew into a real partnership. Yeah. I think that's also cool because I think a lot of times you can meet someone and be like, you're really dope, but mm -hmm. like, I'm going to pick me and my career, mm -hmm. like no shade to them. But if it is the right person, almost even as much as you want to do your own thing, you're like, I I'm going to find a way to merge lives because you want to be with that person. Yeah. Eventually, like I was just like so happy spending time with her. She brought so much like joy and, and energy to my life and like humor and fun. And we just had great chemistry and like, I didn't want to be with anybody else. What is the hottest thing about your wife to you? Oh my goodness. The hottest thing, honestly, like it's probably obvious, but she makes me laugh all the time. And I think that is that it just changes your whole world when you have somebody around you that makes you laugh because it just makes every experience like even when you go through like the worst things, um, when they have a sense of humor, it, it just makes it it makes just life better. It really does. What do you think she would say about you? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know what she would say. I don't know. I take good care of her. Like I, I like to cook for her, even though she's obviously the one with uh food credentials that I don't have, but uh, I like to cook for her. I like to take care of her, pamper her, mm -hmm. and uh, make some romantic gestures. She probably likes that. So cute. Mm -hmm. Okay, what advice do you have to people to keep your sex life hot and fun and alive? <laughs> Come on, John. Lock the door if you have kids. <laughs> <laughs> our kids have a way of like finding their way into our room, so we like, if we ever want to have a good time, we got to lock the door. That's, does, it your, does your mother-in-law live with you? Yeah. Do you ever have to be like, listen, we're going to go. She's not the issue. No. It's the kids. Like, take the kids. We got to go have a meeting upstairs. Okay, so you're just like, lock the door. You yes. got to just find time. No, you have to find time. You have to like still like do those romantic gestures and like make an effort, I think. And uh, I think that's all important. You can't like take things for granted. I think, especially if you've been together for a long time, if you if you allow yourself to just get in a rut, um, like you gotta, you know, go on a date, do some things, mm -hmm. do some fun things, um, make some romantic gestures. Totally. You mentioned how like obviously through hard times, mm -hmm. it's you have to find the positive, and Chrissy's really good at doing that. Yeah. You have been open about mm -hmm. the pregnancy loss that you and Chrissy mm -hmm. experienced in 2020. Do you remember like the feelings you felt after that experience? Oh, it's hard because you feel, especially being um, the man in the relationship, not carrying the baby yourself, you feel this strong sense of grief, but also this powerlessness um, because, you know, it's like you want to be there to protect you want to be there to help but like you literally can't do anything um to really solve the core problem here and um and so it it's it's it was just heartbreaking and we felt powerless and um it was like deep deep grief deep challenge um deep pain and um for me it I'm also, you know, having gone through dealing with trauma in my own family growing up, dealing with um, 
tragedy in our family and seeing, you know, my mom react to it in ways that weren't healthy. Um, I was trying to like be the best partner for her so I could buttress her, support her and make sure she responded in the healthiest way that she could. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were able to get through it, but it was like, it was, it was tough. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that about your family because Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when you go through trauma, you are so in your head about like, how do I do different? How do I do it different? Mm -hmm. How do I handle it different to someone? Maybe that's going through something similar. Do you have any advice of how to find the strength to move forward while also grieving at the same time? I think, I know it's like not everyone can afford therapy or and it is, it is a privilege, you know, to some extent, even though I think it's affordable for mm-hmm. a, a large group mm-hmm. of people. I think you have to do the actual work to, like, take care of your mental health and you can't expect to be able to do it by yourself. And so I think Chrissy and I both like we are fully aware that mental health is a, like a real thing that, that needs to be taken care of mm-hmm. and it needs expertise and care. And um, I think it's important if you're able to afford that and you're able to access it, that you do it. And honestly, um, us talking about it publicly created this sense of community because you start to realize how many other people have gone through it. And it's way more than you think, mm-hmm. um, and particularly pregnancy loss. And then uh, so we would the fact that Chrissy was willing to talk about it publicly, combine that with um just the love that we got from so many different people. People would send books. People would send flowers. Just people cared. And we felt like so much love from people. We truly did. But also they felt love coming from us and empathy coming from us. And it made a lot of people who didn't usually talk about this publicly or didn't usually talk about it, even among their larger friend group, Mm -hmm. uh, feel more comfortable talking about it and feel like they weren't alone in that situation. Mm-hmm. And people still come up to us, this is now, you know, what, two years later, uh, two and a half years later, people still come up to us at the grocery store or at wherever we're shopping or just wherever we're out in public and tell us how much it meant to them that Chrissy talked about it and made them feel less alone. Yeah. Do you guys have conversations about those things? It was Chrissy's idea to share it and it was right in the heart of our grief so it's like kind of like courageous that she was even able to like think about that but people had been with us on the journey they knew we were pregnant she had you know been sharing her journey through pregnancy and and when it started getting complicated and and she had to be in bed rest and we were trying to save the pregnancy um she was sharing all that so it would have been weird to not share the outcome because then it's just like this it's just like the baby just disappeared and like there's no explanation and so it made sense to share it but it was still hard you know yeah and then um once we did share it it really became this just powerful again like it it built community it connected us to a bunch of people we didn't know Mm -hmm. and um it ended up being just a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. What is something that you did as a family that helped you guys move forward? Well, one, we just, like I said, therapy is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Doing things actively, proactively to take care of your mental health are important. 
too, it's great when you have kids there that like are examples of like you coming together to create something beautiful in this world and little people for you to love on and care for and, and just bring light to your lives. Like we had Luna and Miles already and it was like so beautiful to have them in our lives as just as living manifestations of our love and what we created together. And then, um, of course, we tried to have another baby. And, uh, <laughs> it happened. It happened. and here we are. <laughs> here we are. What are some qualities that you hope your children inherit from Chrissy? She's so um, thoughtful. She thinks about other people's feelings. She cares about like whether other people are happy and whether they're taken care of. Um, as I've said before, she's funny. Um, she's creative. She's dynamic. And I see a lot of her in Luna. Um, and whenever Luna makes us laugh, I'm like, oh, okay, I see mom. And then there's just certain aspects of her personality that she definitely gets from her mom. And it's, it's exciting to see it, honestly. And then, um, yeah, those are some of my favorite yeah. traits about her that I want to see in my kids. And she has a real sense of... Um, Honesty and um, authenticity that I would love our kids to have. Mm -hmm. Are either of them singing yet or no? Luna sings in the car all the time and she can carry a tune. So she clearly has pitch perception and is like, she gets it musically. She gets what's happening. Mm -hmm. And people don't know this, but Chrissy, I think, has that same ability. Like she understands music enough, even without any formal training that She's like always on key, um, has a good sense of musical like composition and understands music, even though she has no formal training. Right. And so Luna at least has that. Mm -hmm. And we'll see if she's, you know, even more musical. But she is more excited about art, like uh, visual art. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, she has a pretty good person in the house to help her if she wants to go that route. And we keep asking them if they want to take piano lessons or anything. They're always like, no. Oh. And I'm fine with it. Like, I, I honestly am happy if they have passions that are like something different. Mm -hmm. So they're not too pressured. I think uh, that's great. Yeah. Congrats on your new piano album, Legend. Thank you. What inspired you to create this music? Well, I do this all the time. Like I do live solo shows in intimate venues. I, I just did a couple of them at the uh, Walt Disney Concert Hall. And I've done them, you know, for corporate gigs, private gigs everything i've done you know this solo you know interpretation of my music which usually has full production and everything before and i had never actually made uh kind of like a remix album of my previous albums um like this but my um label president wendy goldstein she was like why don't you do a piano version of this album. And this is my first album with them. Uh, Legend was uh, the double album that we put out in September. She was like, why don't you um, do a solo version of it? And I was like, you know, that's a great idea. Why hadn't I done that before? So good. <laughs> and um, and it was fun just reapproaching the songs, mm -hmm. coming up with new ways of presenting them, just kind of auditioning them for myself, like thinking which ones will work best in this, uh, you know, reincarnation and uh it worked i really so had good. fun making it it's so good thank you what is your favorite song to perform on that album um i love doing by your side which mm -hmm. is a cover i did of sade 
I think I like doing that one because it's kind of new to me. I'd never done it before. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of discovered how much I was into singing it as mm -hmm. I was um, considering it for the album. And I've only played it live a couple times, but I love it. So good. And then I guess what overall is your favorite song to perform? Overall, I love doing... Honestly, it's fun doing the hits because it just the connection is just so strong with the audience. I love doing Ordinary People. Um, it's, you know, my oldest hit song and um, it still has such resonance with the audience. And I just love singing it. It just takes me back to that moment. I tell the story about, you know, when I wrote it and how it originally started out as a Black Eyed Peas song because uh, I was managed by the same manager as them and we used to write together. And I actually wrote the chorus for the song in a session with Will I Am. And uh, and then I was like, you know what, I wanna keep this one for myself. And, and now, you know, it became my first big hit and uh, I still love playing it. I really appreciate you coming today because it's really cool to, it's one thing to love someone's music. It's another thing to kind of get to know them, sit down with them and know them as a human being outside of their music. So John, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. What a this pleasure. Was great. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Woo. This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. Want $0 delivery fees? Try Dash Pass by DoorDash. Daddy gang, I love being home. I love to be cozy, comfortable, laying on the couch. I can't tell you how many times I need something, but I am too lazy to get up and get out of the house. And sometimes I need food or groceries, you name it. Dash Pass gets it delivered right to my door and yours too. It is only $9.99 a month. So I think it's a really good deal, Daddy Gang. So get $0 delivery fees on eligible orders with Dash Pass and new members get a 30-day free trial. Terms apply. Sign up today. Okay, real talk for a second, Daddy Gang. Sex is great. We know that, okay? But sex isn't always perfect. And if you have unprotected sex, you have the power to choose what's right for you in that moment. If not getting pregnant is the goal, plan B emergency contraception is a great backup plan because listen, getting wild in the bedroom can be fun, but feeling out of control afterwards, not so fun. With plan B, you can take control of your body and your future whenever you need a backup plan. It's important to remember to take plan B as directed within 72 hours after unprotected sex and keep in mind that the sooner you take it, the better it works. With plan B, you've got this and I've got you daddy gang with a special $10 coupon for your next plan B visit plan B coupon.com slash daddy to get $10 off your next purchase. That's plan B coupon.com slash daddy to get $10 off your next purchase. This episode is brought to you by Monday hair care. Daddy gang, nobody likes Mondays. Am I right? <laughs> We're all sobbing. We're all sobbing and we're barely getting out of bed on a Monday. But Monday Hair Care is here to flip the script with its award-winning formulas. No more bad hair days. Daddy gang, Monday Hair Care is turning Mondays into a reason to celebrate good hair, which I love, thank God, with seven new products like a leave-in conditioner, dry shampoo, a curl line, and body wash. And daddy gang, every single thing is under 10 dollars. Yes. And the smell 
is to die for. Okay. I want my hair smelling like something that Matt wants to be engulfed in. I want him to come out to me and go, oh my God, you smell amazing. Oh my God, what is that in your hair? So Daddy Gang, reclaim the week with Monday at all leading retailers. Visit mondayhaircare.com to find a stockist near you.